coming up on Magnificently Huge. We're going to podcast like it's 1999. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hey, listener, welcome to the Magnificently Huge podcast. This is Chris, this week along with Eric and Brian. We're going to dive into the glorious year of cinema, 1999. Why is it glorious? Uh, Well, if you look back on it, there's quite a few movies that uh, stood the test of time, reshaped the pop culture landscape. I mean, shit, you got uh, The Matrix. You've got Office Space, you've got Fight Club, you've got, uh, well, you know, there's a bunch. Uh, Sixth Sense comes to mind. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in 1999. It was a weird year. We were all sort of in subdued panic mode because of Y2K. The new millennium was about to hit. Uh, the old century was ending. And we really didn't know what to expect. Was the world going to just stop because all the computers quit? We didn't know. So we kind of dealt with that through our, our film. Uh, there's a lot of themes related to isolation, loss of identity, the comedies are dark, plus you've got pop culture touchstones, as I mentioned earlier. You've got The Matrix, you've got First Rule of Fight Club, uh, I see dead people from Sixth Sense, you've got basically every line from Office Space, uh, and so on and so forth and so on. Those are just some prime examples, so we're going to dive into what 1999 meant to us cinematically. It was a big year, lots of stuff rolling. Uh, a huge number of bona fide classics came out of this uh, year, and that's what we're going to talk about. So uh, prepare, get ready, because it's going to be fun, and then we're going to do the fresh shit, and it's going to have a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, send us an email at magnificentlyhugegmail.com if you like. Otherwise, catch us on our social media feeds at MagHuge at Twitter, uh, Facebook, Magnificent Podcast. We're on Instagram. And then, of course, your podcast purveyor of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc., etc. So that's the perfunctory promo stuff. Without further ado, we'll just dive right into the glorious year of our Lord and Savior. Uh, no, that's wrong. Uh, 1999. Thanks. And we're back. And we're back. It's like Echo. <laughs> echo. Yeah. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's another rousing hey. podcast episode. Uh, should we do introductions? Hey, this is our show. Yes. Welcome to it. Hey, uh, this is Chris over here. This is Eric over there. And this is Brian. Hi, everybody. How are Hello. we today? Great. Thank you. Good. Uh, <laughs> what a week. <laughs> yeah, this is the, the longest year ever this last week. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is... Uh, George Floyd week for those of you listening in the distant future. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, interesting. We took a week off uh, recording the podcast, so the episode that came out most recently uh, didn't really have any of the like the protests and the riots from the last week in it, so it sounded way out of touch. And this probably <laughs> will too by the time you hear yeah. it. So yeah. we're awesome that way. Be- yeah, best moment for me of the whole thing was uh. uh President Balloonhead saying, I think he's happy. I think he's looking down and he's happy because the job numbers were so positive. I, uh, I, it's good for him too. you know what? 
yeah. the guy who died, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> at the hands of police. Wow. Uh, it's not a gaffe if it's what you meant to say. Yeah. So for the record, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but this, this is the official stance of the podcast as far as I can tell. Uh, Nazis suck and are bad. Okay, that's always a given. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're anti-fascist, that means you're on the good side no matter what. Yes. Uh, right. Uh, let's see. Black lives matter, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean right. that all lives don't matter either. But right now, black lives need a little bit more help. And you're, you're kind of a douchebag if you need to like make that distinction. Hey, all lives matter. Well, yeah, yeah but uh, all lives aren't being threatened indiscriminately by police. Yeah. Right. Just because it's true doesn't mean that it's not insensitive yeah. and uh ignorant yeah so those those are three standard positions i think we've established here on the show in the past uh Mm -hmm. that don't really need any other further commentary (laughs) but uh it's just interesting to see other people this week suddenly woke to the fact that uh hey police can get kind of brutal out there it's like where the fuck have you been for 30 40 50 years so so let's respond to the protests about police brutality with threats of a whole lot more police Police brutality brutality. yeah Yeah. what the fuck yeah been an interesting Uh, week fellas i gotta tell you been an interesting week that's why i thought uh, it would be fun to go back and look at 1999 uh because (laughs) that was uh the year of the y2k panic which is more you know first world problem simpler time but uh but people were equally freaked out about nonsense back then as well so it's kind of a pseudo parallel <laughs> maybe a full year before we felt like you could win the popular vote in an election but not yeah. be yeah. a president yeah it was an innocent yeah. time an innocent time so uh we'll reflect that but the movies are re- weirdly not reflective of of some of that so it's just it's an interesting back so yeah that's uh that's where we are it's 2020 uh, we got what another six months left until we can uh, move on. So, so uh, I've got a solution to all of it. I've got a solution to coronavirus and the riots and how we, you know, prevent even more destruction of our country. And that's yeah. simply that the entire human race needs to hibernate for four months. All right, <laughs> yeah, really, we all just need to go into hibernation. We're not going to pay each other's rent. We're not going. We're just going to let everything chill the hell out. We're going to get a good night's sleep, and we're going to come back in October and have an election. That's my plan. Everybody, go to bed. That's the huh. the the Kruger effect. I like it. Yeah. So yeah, mostly I I want to go to bed. Yeah, really. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of, of any of that, did anybody watch any other interesting stuff this week, or were you too fixated on the news? I mean, I did, but I'm waiting for somebody to start the segment. Eric, oh, you with say, the words "fresh shit." This shit is fresh. There they are. Okay. <laughs> Hit that bumper. Hit that bumper. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this week, I binged out on the show Homeland, which has been out for a while on Amazon. I thought you and watched the finale. No, no, I'm sorry. Not Homeland. Uh, um, Homecoming. Homecoming. Okay. okay. Different. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Based on a podcast, um, but fleshed out a bit more. Um What's his name? Robert Esmill? I can't remember his name. The guy who made Mr. Robot um, made it, basically, fleshed it out from the podcast, okay. and it's easily the best thing Julia Roberts has ever done. What, what's it about? I know nothing about this. It's about a place where they help recovering uh, vets, uh, supposedly help recovering vets, but 
there's there's a a, a I don't know what you call it a secret something's going on and uh, sinister things are afoot yes okay. and uh, and 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 yeah it has to do with uh, memory and oh okay is this the one with uh, Janelle Monet who's that she's the she's a singer uh, never mind never super mind. talented singer definitely check her out no uh, no African American woman no no okay okay but uh so does it have the Julia Roberts plot which is that Julia Roberts flashes her million dollar smile and then something happens that makes her stop smiling and then she cries and uh, <laughs> need to get to the end so that we can see that smile again like how many times did Julia Roberts cry that's what we really want to know uh a couple times okay. uh and yeah she her job is basically to smile and and then of course she does not okay and uh, I mean, that's just to, for the course to pipe in I, I did just pull it up so yeah it is the one with janelle monet she plays a character named alex i don't know if that means anything to you i, I don't know okay so maybe no. she hasn't shown up yet or maybe that's season no, I, two okay oh maybe it's season two yeah i i just watched season one okay which is yeah um but yeah awesome cast uh i really recommend it it's very binge worthy and it's it's funny actually when the episode is over and they do the like ending credits there's no music and the shot holds for like 2 or 3 minutes on whatever mundane moment was going on <laughs> at the end of the show huh. like every episode so it's or like just the that? end of police every squad episode where- <laughs> nice, yeah nice. yeah yeah at, at the at like the end of one episode somebody plays a practical joke on her by putting a pelican in her office and they just leave the camera rolling on this pelican and the pelican is standing there with its wings half open like ah uh, uh, are we done <laughs> is this, this is um, how they run the credits yeah and okay. then the, the the pelican just walks off it's like yeah every every scene something's going on where it's like oh, okay i guess we're done it's really funny okay <laughs> excellent not meant to be funny i'm sure there's some meaning to it but i laughed okay no, I mean and, it's like the it's like the Austin Powers, you know, when they the villains do the evil laugh, and it's like, what happens after you cut away, you know, and they, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. So, uh, so you're on season one, then I, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, I finished season one last night. Okay. Um, I guess we're gonna watch season two. Yeah. Okay. Well then, let us know uh, how and that goes. I am, re- I am reading. Uh, oh. Edward Gibbons, Edward Gibbons, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, which uh, I'd been meaning to read for a long ass time. This is a very old book, um, and it's one that actually the founding fathers read, and it was the the basis for a lot of the. They, they were basically trying to solve for a lot of the things that happen to the Roman Empire, right? And it's, <laughs> especially yeah. in these times, worth mm-hmm. reading. Because it spells out everything that's going wrong with this country, because no one read this book in our government, and no one realizes the level of graft that we're capable of. Yeah, even still. So you're reading this to depress yourself, or <laughs> I like I like Roman history. You know, I I read the Twelve Caesars. Chick. Yeah, I I read the Twelve Caesars years ago, and. I'd been meaning to read up on the ones after the original Julian line, and that's what this is. And man, they just fuck each other over right and left. 
It is crazy. So, uh, so when are you going to pick up some Herodotus then? They're a smart guy. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he's, next. He's the I mean, father of history, man. So, you know, yeah. it just stems to reason, you know? All right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, dude. All right. Dude. That's okay. all I got. So you're all steeped right. in, uh, in the classics and psych thrillers on Amazon. And Julia Roberts. Yeah. Crying. Yeah. You're not crying. Julia Roberts is crying. Yeah, she's doing that uh, that 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 sort of quiver quiver yeah. lip thing. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a classic. Uh, okay. All right, I can go. I have a theme this week. The theme is desperate for entertainment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything is still closed. It's like, what are you doing, Brian? Yeah, I mean it's June <laughs> and there's no summer movies, and you know yeah, my whole. My whole shtick is just shot to hell. So here yeah. we go. I really um, wish that uh, the the things were still open because then we could have this weekend discussion about Wonder Woman 1984 because this is when it was supposed to open. But no. I do I do appreciate though that they are taking all the movies they were going to release in theaters and overcharging for them at home. <laughs> but they're not like yeah. all the big blockbustery things are not available. Yeah, uh, right. I'm just that way. I'm just commenting on how like like a, an online rental of one of these movies is still fifteen goddamn dollars, and sure. I don't have to go to a theater. So yeah. I mean, but that works out for like families, right? That just doesn't work out for Eric. I guess. Yeah. So, so I guess how, how am I going to watch the troll movie though? I'm not. I'm not going to take any kids yeah, to the trolls. That's not happening. Like, yeah. Anyway, so first I want to talk about, and I've sent you guys some stuff in, in uh, Hangouts about this, but I want to talk about the desperation that is sports in the age of coronavirus. <laughs> I, did yeah, the, I, did see, I did see Cornhole I, the other weekend, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm flipping through Hulu, and it's like live TV right now, ESPN, the main ESPN, and it's Cornhole being broadcast <laughs> from some hotel ballroom in Phoenix. Yeah. And it's it's just two you know, two teams of dudes throwing bean bags. Yeah. Everyone's staying six feet apart. It's boring as hell. One dude's got a drink in his hand the whole yeah. time. They call it Let's, performance enhancing beverage or yeah. PEB. Let me tell you that uh here in Austin, cornhole is one of the standard patio games in any bar. And so right. I'm used to seeing just fall down drunk people play it. Uh, so it's unusual to see it on ESPN with people that have some relative level of skill at throwing a beanbag no. in a hole. With play-by-play, -play, with <laughs> color commentary, somebody's job is to do play-by-play -play <laughs> goddamn yeah. cornhole. Yeah. It's hilarious. It, I, it makes me think of, uh, of the skit from that Mitchell and Webb look, the guys that do the bumper pool. <laughs> And yeah. that's a bad miss. That's literally what it is. <laughs> that's all it is. So, so uh, another form of this, uh, I was watching the um, last week tonight with John Oliver, and John Oliver has decided to sponsor the ne the entire next season of a thing called Gels Marble Runs. Have you seen this? Yeah. <laughs> no. <This> YouTube channel <laughs> where this guy sets up these elaborate marble tracks and puts marbles in the stands and does color commentary as though it's a real sport and does play by play. <laughs> it's wait. beautiful. So it's what's just what's as the... interesting as sports? I'm just as invested in who wins. <laughs> but so they're marbles. So what are they they're putting marbles in chairs? What? 
No, no, no. they're like like think of those Hot Wheels tracks where they go all yeah. you know, but, but oh, okay. these are very okay. elaborate and go all over the place, right. and they run like a shit ton of marbles down them, and gotcha. it's like, uh oh, okay. which individual marble is gonna you know yeah. get down there? <laughs> marble and races, basically. As someone who despises sports, I love that. Uh, <laughs> it's basically sports can be broken down to something you know this easy. I mean, this yeah. simple. It, I mean, it what's is next? cut at like a sports broadcast. It is announced like a sports broadcast. <laughs> it is, co- you know, it it might as well be a real sport, you know. And I mean, like, what's next? They're gonna do like the Slinky Stair Run Championship. I mean, it's basically that. It's basically <laughs> that. You have to check this out, Chris. The Gels Marble. They've got all kinds of different clever ways to roll marbles and call it a sport. It's it's hilarious. I mean, when we I'd were kids, if they did paper airplanes. Yeah, a really. paper airplane contest would make total sense. It's like sure. literally, literally everything that we used to do as kids to kill time. That sounds like what they're doing on ESPN now. Yeah, okay. yeah. But the actual sport that I have been watching, and my actual fresh shit related to the sport, is I've been watching BattleBots. <laughs> oh god. Okay. <laughs> so BattleBots has basically devolved to there's like three different types of robot, and it's really just about watching them blow the crap out of each other um have you been have you been what have you ever watched BattleBots since it wasn't like you know comedy central back in the 90s or anything it's on hulu now i Not guess since no. Then, no i mean i've yeah. seen like well, they've got like saw blades that whip out and some of them have flamethrowers and stuff like that right yeah okay yeah the 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 most effective thing seems to be to have this giant spinning rotor blade that just whacks things and knocks stuff off them and throws them across the, <laughs> yeah. the box um the the best part about it though is that they've got this announcer dude, this guy named Farouk, and he's like this, you know, fairly, you know, you can tell he goes to the gym, this black dude, and he's given these horrible intros to read for these nerdy ass robots. They're full of puns, and he just sells it like the most badass, you know, tough guy gangster rap announcer voice possible. <laughs> stupid intros is awesome. Maybe uh, one day he'll get to get to do play-by-play for cornhole. Maybe that's his I, big thing. I think he's already like uh, advanced to a level beyond doing play-by-play for cornhole by being the battle bot. <laughs> Dude, you are so beyond cornhole by now. Yeah. And the beanbag goes into the small hole. This is what we do on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. That's basically. Desperate times, friends. Desperate times. Sports sucked before the coronavirus, and now they, I mean, they still pretty much suck exactly the same. They just, you know, are cheaper. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I got two movies. I've got an indie, and I've got a blockbuster. Which do you want first? Indie. Blockbuster. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) You'll have to to make the tying vote, Brian. Yeah. Uh... All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the indie because it's it's fun. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen the trailer for this thing, but you need to watch the trailer for this thing. It's a movie called Dave Made a Maze. Have you heard of this? What's it about? 
It's about a guy named Dave who builds a labyrinth in his in his apartment out of cardboard. And so his girlfriend comes home and sees a bunch of cardboard boxes and she can totally hear him inside the cardboard maze. He is lost. He cannot get out. It, <laughs> it is much bigger on the inside. And ultimately, this is like the most budget conscious big special effects horror you know labyrinth it's kind of like cube in a way except that all of the effects are made out of cardboard and paper (laughs) so so it's basically they sweeted a traditional horror movie yes yes and i mean it's it's shot you know it's like it's basically the director being like look if you guys gave us a budget look what we could do because look what we're doing with cardboard (laughs) right yeah. So, like, nice. there's a the one of the first uh, gruesome things that happens, and this is in the trailer, is uh, a woman is beheaded, and it's when she's beheaded, and her blood is like red streamers coming out of her neck <laughs> and going all <laughs> over the place. It is messed up, but they really sell it, and they really put an awful lot of work in it, and I don't want to even think about the paper cuts these people have. Uh, <laughs> but wait, so so a in in the reality of the film, a woman gets her head actually cut off. Absolutely, but red paper streamers come out. Yeah, so it's sort of uh, impressionistic horror. I yeah, I mean, I think that from the perspective of the characters in the film, she actually was turned into cardboard when she was beheaded, uh, because they are in a cardboard world and they know it's made of cardboard. But it it doesn't make it any less menacing because it is sort of like, you know, this um, Time Lord technology, bigger on the inside, monstrous (laughs) labyrinth once you get inside the boxes. And Uh (laughs) additionally, there's uh, a handful of characters that are the documentary crew, these guys' buddies. Yeah, because when the girlfriend encountered her boyfriend having you know gone insane in locking himself in the middle of the room in what appears to be a box um you know she calls his friends and among his friends are some filmmakers and so the filmmakers are taking the piss out of themselves with this film crew that's trying to make a documentary and trying to get people to say certain things on camera and and manipulate the footage to tell their narrative and uh, anyway it's good stuff is this like a found footage horror film no no it's 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 very well made. Again, I think it's kind of a demo reel for the people who made the film to say, we totally understand shot composition and pacing and editing and lighting. It's just that, you know, <laughs> we, we don't have cardboard have to work with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and where's, watch where's the trailer for Dave Made a Maze. Um, this was one of those things from that I I streamed for like eight bucks from the Alamo On Demand site. Okay. Gotcha. So okay. yeah, Dave made a maze. Uh, good times. I enjoyed it. I think I think you guys might. And then cool. for my blockbuster, well, I mean it's slim pickings. It's I'm trying to find because you know on a Sunday I just want to sit down and eat the popcorn and watch some big dumb overproduced Hollywood blockbuster thing. And I mean I've seen most of them, and and the wife prefers not to watch them a second time if she can find something yeah. else that's more Isn't interesting. That, doesn't that suck? It's like, I just want to watch this. <laughs> now we've seen that already. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I I do get some of that. Yeah. Um, so, but but one of the big dumb blockbusters that I hadn't seen yet that was available on streaming that I watched was Fast Five. Oh God. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Fast Five, which is the Fast and Furious franchise, as they were making the turn towards. Yeah. Absolutely bug fuck insane James Bondian <laughs> car foo. I remember when that one didn't come out, and there were two guys at work who were talking about it. They were really excited, like, "Yeah, Fast Five, this and that." And I'm like, "Yeah, but it's it's not as good as Fast Four. And they're like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I'm like, "Never mind." That's yeah. Four Fast, started- Four Furious. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, Fast Five feels at this point like the gritty reboot of the Fast and the Furious franchise because if I watch it now after having seen, you know, the fate of the Furious and and all the ridiculous shit that's come since, yeah. this seems downright practical and grounded, right? It's mostly just <laughs> car stunts. <laughs> yeah, they're not like flying submarines in right. space or whatever yeah. the hell is on the next one, right? Like, yeah. the most absurd thing they've got is the sequence at the end with the two cars dragging the safe around, um, which is pretty absurd. We but- need you to go undercover in the circus as uh, gymnasts. <laughs> but, okay, but we'll do it in cars. Uh, right. So, so yeah. Is this, is, this isn't the first one with The Rock, is it? It is the first one with The Rock. So The Rock okay. is okay. the, you gotcha. know... The FBI or CIA guy who's chasing down Dom's crew. And he's not part of the family yet. So, so it's so it's off to a rocky start, right? No, I think I think if Brian is uh, is excited about this one, he's going to tell us that the fifth time is the charm. That's what it's starting to sound like. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> no. You know what? I got. I got what I was looking for. I got a big, dumb Hollywood blockbuster that none of us had seen, and I had popcorn, and I watched it, and I turned my brain off, and it was fine. And there's a plot point where in order to get the handprint to open a safe, they get the handprint off of Gal Gadot's ass. That's a thing. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) They get the guy to put his hand on Gal Gadot's ass so they can get his handprint so they can open the safe. There's your movie. And Vin folks. Diesel is still in these, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So. Oh, no, Paul Walker is still alive, right? And that's the thing, is Paul Walker has kind of a weird, I don't know, man. Like, his eyes are kind of bugged out, and his posture is funny. And so I'm watching Fast Five, and I my brain is absolutely telling me that all of these shots are, in fact, fake, like, head replacement shots to put Paul Walker's <laughs> dead head on some his brother's body or something, even though that doesn't happen for, like, three or more movies. This is just Paul Walker. <laughs> but I'm convinced like just... that I'm looking at special effect zombie Paul Walker. Yeah. You're, like, so engrossed with the actual movie that you're starting to envision deep fake Paul Walker. Right. Yeah. Okay. You're seeing wow. Tony Soprano's mom going, ah. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so how how many of these movies have you seen, Brian, in this series? At this point, now I've seen from Fast Five to the most recent one, including Hobbs and Shaw. Okay. I have not seen the first four or Tokyo okay. Drift. I've I've only seen the first one, and I watched it uh, like when it first came out on DVD. That's all I've I know. Only about seen movies. Tokyo Drift. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You got. I saw it like late at night. Like I'll give it a shot. 
Okay. You kind of got to watch some of the more recent ones because they're just absurd. Do I gotta? Eh. Do I? I, I mean, don't think I do. Okay. Imagine if Die Another Day was entertaining because that's kind of what these are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, I remember could ever a lot of scenes that. actually where James Bond drives into the, the, the bad guy lair. He doesn't walk in, he drives in. Or how he drives into, you know, I could see where this would, that'd be very fast and furious. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. They're, okay. they're ridiculous. Uh, this one is, is less ridiculous, um, but it's, yeah, it's just Yeah, but the, the, the bar is really, <laughs> the bar is really low. I mean, it's hard to, you know what I mean? So, okay. Yeah. So least, that's my fresh shit. I, I watch the movies. Well, at least what you, you got, Chris? It. Uh, I have one thing. And this is something that I stumbled across on Amazon Prime, just doing the normal, I can't find anything, this sucks, this sucks. And then uh, I noticed that the 1978 disco classic, Thank God It's Friday, is on Amazon Prime. And so I watched that. Oh. As you do. Uh, as, have you In guys... keeping with our, our uh, Donna Summer... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Georgia Maroder <laughs> theme. Uh, from yeah, a, yeah Cause, exactly. Because basically it's... For those not in the know, it's... It's one of the like anthology one night movies where there's a bunch of characters all coalesce around a, a thing. And in this one, it's a disco club called The Zoo, and they're having a dance contest. And then at the end of the night, Earthwind and, or no, the Commodores, I always get that fucked up. It's the Commodores are going to be doing a, a show. And so everybody's there on a Friday night. And you got like a married couple who are on their fifth anniversary that want to put a little sizzle in their relationship, so they show up. You got two teenage girls who are just there to do the dance contest. Uh, you've got just a variety of folks showing up, and it's all like just the total cliche disco culture. Like everything that people thought disco was that they wanted to put into a movie, this is it. Uh, Donna Summer shows up as a singer who's trying to just break through, so she's trying to get her demo to the dj at the club and then she ends up singing last dance i think it was um and then jeff goldblum is in it he's the club owner and he's like (laughs) he's the dick uh and he's made a bet with the dj that he can sleep with the the wife of the the couple that has come in because they like he points her out and then he wins like 20 bucks or something if he can take her home and have sex with her (laughs) uh so he's macking on this married woman while her husband ends up with a woman who's just there to do a bunch of drugs and then he basically just ingests a whole bunch of substances and loses (laughs) his mind uh the two teenage girls one of them is played by terry nunn before she was in berlin uh so you get some weirdness there deborah winger shows up as like a new in town girl who's there with her friend from work. Uh, and then she's so this is prone. just like, like they, they had to make a movie to finance the cocaine party. Basically saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's, that's, that's a whole movie that exists solely. So Casablanca records can sell the soundtrack. That's really yeah. the gist. Cause it's a lot of Donna summer, but then it's also some Giorgio Moroder shows up cause he produced a bunch of that stuff. And I think he had a stake in Casablanca if memory serves. Mm. Um, and then I think that was actually his studio, probably. Uh, so yeah, you get a bunch of that stuff, and then it's one of it's like uh, love American style. It's kind of got that vibe at portions, and then other times it's like uh, love boat because you've got all these just random characters that are just there doing their little vignettes, and none of them are interesting, and none of them are funny. 
but when you put them all together, it kind of works somehow. It's so dumb. It is so dumb. But the whole thing is it's centered around the Commodores are going to play, and that's like the big buildup. So then by the end, they finally do show up, and then they play one song, and then the movie's over. Everybody goes home. It's like, what in the fuck is this? I'm like, no. Oh, it was so ridiculous. Uh, and then the, like get crazy i, yeah. I think get crazy was a statement on all these films because it was the exact same thing only yeah. it was stupid basically intentionally yeah, yeah. So. but it was like the 70s when they, like they did a bunch of those anthology things this would be a good double feature with something like car wash you know car where wash, it's just yeah, totally where there's like no story it's just a bunch of randos doing their thing around some central whatever uh and this one happened to be disco uh but it's just uh, it's just so weird like the the weirdest character in it is is kind of almost too much, but he's a dude that dresses all in leather, and his name was <laughs> his name Marv Gomez, the Leather Man, and he's just there to disco, man. Uh, and then okay, he dressed all in leather. There's a there's a few ways you can do that. Well, it's like buckskin. It's not like fetish leather. It's like you know he's wearing like leather pants and he's got the vest and the the hat and the whole thing. Uh, so it's not like fetish stuff. So like it kind that, of is. that sounds like village people biker guy leather. It's similar, but it's okay. more like it's more like like Daniel Boone leather, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so so he's he basically runs into the two teenage girls outside and they're trying to get in and then they finally there's like a running gag where people keep running into Jeff Goldblum's Porsche because it's right in front center reserve spot. So by the end of the movie, that thing is totally wrecked because everybody's hit it. But they <laughs> they blackmail Marv Gomez, the leather man, to take him into the club or they're going to rat him out for hitting the car. So he sneaks him in through the men's bathroom. And then there's like the world's worst transvestite in there. It's like basically a skinny white dude with makeup and he's wearing like a halter top and a skirt. It's like it's the most non... <laughs> drag queen drag queen but it's like the movie had no idea how to present a real drag queen i guess i don't know uh those were so then, hard to find in the days of disco too. exactly like if you watch you're like there is so much so very wrong about this movie <laughs> uh yet and so yeah it was it was a trip man because it's just it's all the whole thing is there so that you can finally see donna summer sing last dance and then you can watch the Commodores sing whatever they sing and then you get a really good theme song, which we've already started playing at some point over this. But it's uh, it's just like basically the 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 backbeat of the theme song sounds like every one of those vignettes from the Benny Hill show in the 1970s. It's like that kind of thing. It is so ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, you talk about brain garbage, Brian. <laughs> You need to find this one and see how far you can get. I guarantee you, it will not be far. So yeah, thank you God it's from. Thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Had to find out how it all ended. Had to find out. That's true. What if the Commodores didn't show up? Boy, well, the thing was, that the Commodores was their their guy, their their roadie who was bringing all their equipment uh, got lost. So there's cutaways to him in the van. And he keeps getting pulled over by cops because he's a black dude, and they think he stole the stuff. And then he's got to pull all the instruments oh, out so and play a them. Timely one- movie, yeah. So then he's got to play all the instruments <laughs> one by one for the cops to prove that he's some sort of a roadie. <laughs> it's like none of this makes any goddamn sense. So yeah, and then he finally shows up. The Commodores play, and then they turn on the lights, and everybody goes home. Yeah. 
<laughs> the end. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm dumber for having watched it. So that's the question. So, 1999. You remember the year? That's actually a really great year in movies. It really was. Uh, so, I think we, like most of our, here's a year show. Let's set the scene. So, culturally, of which there were eight at the time. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, subvert us to a living hell apocalypse night scare, nightmare yeah. landscape, um, which Office Space covers nicely, by the way. Uh, but it's a weird year, and correct me if I'm wrong, I may be off base here, but it's, uh, there's so many classic movies that came out this year that proved out to be classics now. Yeah. Uh, that got dismissed, I think, at the time. But this is one of those watershed years in film. Like, people throw yeah. back to like 1939, where they whip out, you know, Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz and yada, yada, yada. And like, you know, s- some of the stuff in like 68, uh, I think it was, when like Bonnie and Clyde and such came out. This is one of those years that everybody sort of goes, ha ha, see? Uh, and I'm not going to disagree with that. You? Yeah. And it really is kind of, I mean, these are still 90s movies. Like, you watch them and you get the sense of they're 90s movies. They're yeah. just the best 90s movies. Mm-hmm. Do you know I what mean, I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's so Like, much. 10 years of indie filming uh, uh, sort of got everyone to perfect their shit. Yeah. And, yeah, this is, like, what, what, what we wanted to see the whole time. Yeah. Well, and, but, and not only that, I mean, apart from the, the top 10, which has got some really obvious stuff in there, which we can get to in a sec, but the the year itself, there's just so many uh, fresh original storylines and movies and and just innovative things that if any of these came up today to a studio, I doubt they would get a green light at all. They wouldn't get any money. They wouldn't get made. So it's just shocking that uh, you can get stuff like, uh, like being John Malkovich, for an example like become a big giant cultural hit uh even though the movie itself is just so fucking bizarre it's like it doesn't follow any sort of normal trend in filmmaking uh or storytelling uh so you get a lot of that but then that's you know that's charlie kaufman getting his head start spike jones getting his feature debut then you've got a bunch of indie guys that are sort of coming into their own that were going to do bigger and better things and then you've got all the blockbusters uh and even the sequels are good so it's a weird year, right? Yeah. It's a great year. And I mean, 89 was a great year. I don't know. Maybe there's just something about like coming up on the end of a decade. The end of the decade. Kick ass. Like 2019 was a hell of a year for movies. Um, yeah. So 99 fits that pattern real nice. Well, and it almost seems like they all kind of had a feeling of what was going to happen next <laughs> because all of them have sort of this weird uh, dissociative dread uh, undercurrent through everything uh we're all just gonna turn into like the glossiest most consumerist like you oh you (laughs) think the 80s were made of plastic watch this shit hold my beer decade that was coming yeah we'll turn the 80s up to 11 yeah i remember it wasn't so much the y2k computer bug thing that people were like you know distressed over as much as just the 
the dread of the end of the century. I'm not sure why either, but everyone was like just sort of vaguely aware that yeah. Well, it there was, was something weird of, about the century. Shouldn't we ending. be doing better by now? Like, yeah. weren't we gonna have gotten further than we are than by the year 2000? Yeah, yeah. The number of jackoffs who are like, "Where's my flying car?" It's right. like. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Still got to solve institutional racism before we get to flying car. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> when you look back to it, at the era, nineteen ninety nine, just as a year, I mean, it's right before uh, everything just turned to shit. I mean, it's like we we didn't get the big push to Iraq because nine eleven. Uh, we didn't get the housing crisis. We didn't get Bush stealing the election more or less in 2000 yeah. by hanging chad i mean everything that has basically set the bar for how fucked up things are now had really yet to go in full force and i it think it was it's a nicer this, more yeah. more innocent time 1999 yeah. well let's uh yeah. let's let's roll out the top 10 uh real quick just to kind of give people an idea of where we were culturally at the movies uh, from 10 so, down to one yeah so okay. number 10 was Austin Powers' Spy of Shag Me, uh, which we talk about in our uh, Superior Sequels episode, uh, number 101. So people can go find that. We're not going to talk about it. Yep. Uh, number nine was the best film winner of that year, American Beauty. Do you think it stands up now? I'm afraid to watch it again now. It's tough. Like I never liked it. I never liked it when it came cousin- out. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just when it came out, I was like, "This is this is sort of self-flagellating horseshit. This yes. is you know, it's, it's not it's, good." It's, and and d- despite the fact that Kevin Spacey does not have sex with the teenager, the whole movie is about a forty-year-old guy trying to fuck a teenage girl. Yeah, it's I mean, just yeah. it's, it's it's creepy on so many levels, and it I don't yeah. think it translates well today. But it just kills me because everybody references that fucking bag scene. Where the kid yeah. filmed the the, paper, the the plastic bag just whipping in the wind, and he gives some weird poetic soliloquy, and it's just it's so trite now. I can't watch it. Exactly. It's so difficult. Ah, oh. yeah. And it's when sad. that came out, I remember watching that scene, going, "Are you fucking kidding me?" No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, American Beauty to me is really just what's interesting to me about it is it it's what got us Alan Ball, which got us Six Feet Under, like the, in the exactly. next year or two. Uh, yeah. Which at least that first season was great. I don't know if even Six Feet Under holds up. I I have a feeling that all of this stuff, if I revisit it now, I'd be like, oh, oh. Six yeah, Feet oh. Under is still brilliant. It's oh, still great. I, I uh, but mind what's moving back on that one? Yeah, but of on. course, that that then leads into True Blood, and nobody needs that. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's kind of a mini theme of this year as well, because you get these movies that are made by people that would go on to do other things that had become even like bigger cultural events almost mm. uh, later on. So it's a weird sort of stepping stone year for a lot of these folks too. It's just strange. All right. What's um, the next one in the top yeah. 10? Uh, so the next one is the James Bond movie, The World Is Not Enough, which we've certainly we also, beaten that to death on yeah, the podcast. Like, yeah. If people want to hear us yell about that one, it's episode 115, The Worst Is Not Enough. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all but I, definitely all I the best Brosnan, probably. Well, meh, the second, second of best. four Brosnans, second, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's hard to come up with something good. Yeah, and for, <laughs> I think I think we were all in agreement too that the the movie would have been stellar uh, had they not cast Christmas Jones. Yeah, you know what I mean. If that character Denise didn't Richard exist and Denise yeah. Richard was not cast, I think it would have been a much better movie. So yeah, yeah. 
so number seven, uh, it's our first romantic comedy uh, in the top ten. Well, it's probably the only romantic comedy, but it's uh, Julia Roberts in Notting Hill, the one she did with Hugh yeah. Grant, which I think I saw it on video uh, 20 years ago, and I don't really remember much. I, I haven't seen it, but I suspect at the beginning Julia Roberts smiles, and then something <laughs> happens that makes her stop <laughs> yeah. smiling, and well, we wait the whole movie to see her smile yep. again. Yeah, but you're missing the important part, the part where Hugh Grant says, uh, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this is not to be confused with Julia Roberts' other romantic comedy of the year, Runaway Bride, which was her uh, reuniting with Pretty Woman co-star Richard Gere for some other yeah. shenanigans that, that probably involved out. the same things. Uh, but that one obviously didn't do as well. Uh, number six, coming in at The Mummy. I'm going to put a pin in The Mummy because that was the yeah. one that I rewatched this okay. week for this. So that's uh, Brendan Fraser and his big ginormous blockbuster breakout. So we can come back to that. Uh, and then number five was the Disney version of Tarzan, the cartoon that mm. I don't remember anything about. I ever. really dug that Disney Tarzan. Actually. Didn't they do? They, they did like some uh, inventive rotoscoping yeah. animation so stuff, right? Deep canvas is what they called it. Okay. And what they were doing was they were, they were modeling the environments in a, in a 3d program like Maya. But what, what they had done with deep canvas is they had created tools that allowed the artists to paint directly on the 3d models. Okay. Um, and then they could whip the camera all through the place, and then, of course, the animators could put the 2D animated uh, Tarzan and apes and whatnot onto these, uh, you know, onto those frames. And it was just, it, it was the most, I think, organic blending of the hand-painted aesthetic and the, what you get, the depth and the camera um, action of a 3D movie. Great stuff. Okay. So, again, that would carry over into other movies, presumably, that technology. Yeah, So, but Tarzan yeah. was, I think, the purest form of it. it. It's kind of like the first Jurassic Park in that, like, when they're trying really hard the first time, it holds yeah. up. You know what I mean? And then, and then the subsequent, it's like, ugh. Yeah. Which, which carries over to the number four movie of the year, The Matrix, uh, with the bullet time stuff. Overused yeah. after that. Yeah. Uh, we, what we talked about number it, four? Yeah. I thought it would be number two, huh? No. Matrix came in at number four, and it made $463 million. And uh, there's an episode of ours called The Matrix Rewatched. Yeah, <laughs> episode 82, yeah, where we, where we talked that to death as well. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. what I want to say about that episode is the intro to The Matrix Rewatched Eric sang the propeller heads (laughs) song from the lobby. (laughs) And what I got to tell you about it, this was the moment where I think that I realized that Eric may have perfect pitch. Because he just sang that thing cold. (laughs) But goddamn, if he wasn't in key and in time, and all I had to do was just drop the propeller head song down, and it lined up with Eric for like four minutes. Yeah, when I. I didn't know you were going to drop the music on top of that, and so when I first heard it, I was like, did you adjust me? I mean, because no. I didn't plan on... Yeah, and then, and then I'm like, if you didn't, that's... Wow. <laughs> Bravo. Million and one yeah. shot, Doc. It's crazy. Yeah. So, that's, <laughs> so that's episode 82, if you want to hear us yell about The Matrix, uh, which we do a lot. Uh, so number three uh, is Toy Story 2. So that was Pixar's first sequel. 
Mm. And it's a superior sequel, which we don't ever talk about in any other episode. But uh, You know, that was supposed to be a straight-to-video, but then they were like, it's so good. Really? Fuck it, let's put it yeah. in theaters. Okay. Which, which it's the best sequel that Pixar has done, but it's also the first one, which sort of sets the precedent for now we can do sequels, and then you get shit like Cars 2 and yeah. Incredibles yeah. 2. You know... Yeah. On the internet, you basically see people say Toy Story 3 is just, you know, this gut punch of a movie. And I'm like, yeah. no. I think Toy Story 2 was an even nastier gut punch than Toy Story 3. I don't. Yeah. I don't, like, anyway. if you watch Toy Story 2 now, you just put yourself in the mind frame of like a seven year old kid watching it. And like, that would just destroy me if, <laughs> if I were a child watching that thing. You know what I mean? It's just awful. So, yeah. Yeah. Good on you. I, I, I think that the. The entirety of the Toy Story movies has created a generation of hoarders, people who are afraid <laughs> to throw things out because they might actually think things. Yeah. My toys come alive at night. No, they don't. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to the top two. Uh, I'll give you two guesses. Well, I know what number one is. Okay. I don't. Number one okay. is The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Which we did also in another episode. Yeah. Oh shit! I think I know what that means. Number is number two Armageddon. No, Armageddon okay. came out in '98. Okay, okay. So Good wrong year, God. wrong year. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so Star Wars we won't really even touch on. We did a whole show about that uh, episode forty-nine. Uh, just to suffice to say that it it wasn't necessary, and I still don't like it. I just yeah. don't. So yeah. Um. So number two uh, is. The probably the big breakout pop culture moment for 1999, and I will be honest with you, it's a movie I still have yet to see. And it is not The Matrix. <laughs> it's not The Matrix. Uh, it's The Sixth Sense. Huh. Oh, oh, okay. Because <laughs> uh, I missed it when it came out in the theater, and I had always thought, well, I'll get to it. And then by that time, everybody was doing the twist, and I'm like, well, I guess I don't need to see it now. La 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 yeah. la. And then as time went on, it's sort of like, well, I, do I need to see it? Do I really need to see it? I mean, it's so. one of those movies you need to see exactly twice. Once when you, you don't know the twist and once when you do. And then yeah. you're done, right? Uh, but I haven't gone back to it because I've seen other Shyamalan movies and uh, yeah. I'm not impressed. I just don't like his yeah. stuff. Sixth Sense was where we all said, ooh, this M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong Night. We're... We're really going to spend the rest of our lives going over his awesome <laughs> yeah. movies in the future. And then, well, like, eh. that's a hardcore flame. He, he kind of said, I guess they all have to have a twist. Yeah. Let's not develop character or exactly. structure. or yeah. And, though Signs, I thought, was really good. I really did like Signs, but, you know, eh. he's, he's, everything has always been... Because there he didn't really try for a twist so much. Yeah. But uh, so, well, for, everything has to be twisty, I guess. The thing about yeah. The Sixth Sense, other than the twist, right? It's really about Haley Joel Osment. And if you think about it, Haley yeah. Joel Osment is the vanguard of the millennials, okay? Because here's yeah. a kid who's, who's got everything, but he is expressing so clearly as a child actor just how terrible the world really is from the perspective of millennials. And he sees it at a yes. very early age and yes. he's looking at the future with nothing but dread and disappointment. And uh, you know, maybe I will have to go watch it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. Basically the twist is not the point. The point is Helly Joel Osment with that terrified look in his eyes at everything. 
I, well, I, I think you're right. I totally <laughs> identify with that child, and I was 30. Yeah. Well, all I know is that he sees dead people, and one of them is Bruce Willis. Yeah, but he also, I think, sees the coming millennium, and he's, he's, he's not looking forward to it. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So there you go. So those are the, the top 10. And so out of those, I mean, I count at least uh, like three or four that are just groundbreakers for stuff that will come later mm -hmm. or infected whole genres and that sort of thing. So that's sort of yeah. an overarch. Uh, but that leaves a whole slew of other movies that came out the ear that I, I love even more. Um, that we can kind of talk about and see if there's any others that aren't on that top 10 well, list. Let's, let's go ahead and kill off the mummy here. Um, okay. <laughs> we were going to bring one it. movie each and, and, and so might as well focus on something. Okay. Um, all right. So I rewatched the 1999 Brendan Fraser, the mummy, Steven Summers being, classic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ugh. I gotta I would, tell you, I had, I had the movie that Tom thought, Cruise had to make in order to prove that this was a good movie. <laughs> I had mistakenly thought it was made by Joe Johnston, but it's made by Steven Summers. No. Um, yeah. So here's the thing, right? It's the so mummy racist. It's so racist. No, it works so well. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, I mean, it holds up. It's uh, it's a it's a popcorner for sure, and it's it definitely like when I watched it though, my whole thing was I stepped out of myself while I was viewing it, going, how many times did this asshole watch Raiders of the Goddamn Lost Ark? That's really what I want to know because that's literally all it is. Like, well, let's just make Raiders, but we'll put a mummy movie over the enough top. that I think he made a better Raiders of the Lost Ark sequel than pretty much all of the Raiders of the Lost Ark sequels. Fight mm -hmm. me. Um, this think, is uh, really good. It's better um, than Temple of Doom, but not as good as Last Crusade. It's probably not as good as Last Crusade, but it's better than the other two. <laughs> like all homage, it's it's theft, but it's good theft. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing about it, right? First of all, Brendan Fraser is at his Brendan Fraseriest. Like this is his <laughs> star-making moment. Yeah. And uh, well, 1999, he's got like four movies or something this year. But but this is the only uh, good one. Uh, this is. <laughs> This is just awesome. Isn't one like, of them George of the Jungle or something? Yeah, Dudley Do Right. Dudley Do Right is is this year, but but he Monkey Bone just sells the hell out of this character and this world. Um, he's goofy, but he's also a badass, and yeah. uh, he's sexist, but it's also kind of yeah. period accurate, yeah. I guess. the The thing is. The Mummy is also Universal Studios looking at, well, what IP do we have and what can we bring back? And, and so while it is sold very much as an Indiana Jones alike, it's a horror movie. Like, there's some gnarly shit in this movie. Yeah. Um, there, there's some particularly gruesome deaths. And who's the, who's the, like the, the guy that wears the fez, like the scurvy toady oh What's he his? looks like paul bartell but i don't think he is he's in like every stephen summers movie but uh it's basically his whole deal is to just fuck over everybody that's heroic in this film at the service yeah. of the mummy uh <laughs> and his fate is kind of funny because he gets stuck in the tomb at the end when all the lights go out all the scarabs come out and just eat him so yeah hooray hooray but it uh. is yeah, it's got some legitimate scares. You know, they only have one jump scare, but it's got some legitimate horror going yeah. on. And and so, to a lot of ways, this is like the 
best version of what I think PG-13 was supposed to be. So, like, the beginning, the prologue, they, they set up the characters of Anaxuna Moon, who's the woman, and mm-hmm. Imhotep, who's ultimately our mummy. But there's, like, this whole thing that Anaxuna Moon was... Uh, the property of the pharaoh, and so she was painted head to toe and body. So this chick is basically naked, but she's got body paint, and they can get away with it. And so they push the sex angle of it just to the edge of where PG-13 needs to be. They push all the <laughs> violence and the horror just to the edge of where PG-13 needs I mean, yeah, good stuff. I I was impressed. I mean, it's a it's a roller coaster ride. Uh, and in keeping with our theme for 99, you, if you don't have this mo- movie, then... I would argue that we wouldn't have Dwayne the Rock Johnson as a giant star now, because yeah. without this one, you don't get the, the, the shitty Scorpion sequel King. that has the Scorpion King, which gives the Rock his big break, and then the rest is history. So the so. Mummy, uh, going back to that thing about you know trying hard enough, knowing your limitations. Yeah, the Mummy is one of these early movies with big CG effects, and yes, some of them do not hold up. Um, but a surprising number of them are good enough and a surprising number of them are, are mixed enough with practical things that they're yeah. good enough. Well, it's, it's just the set pieces are fun because like I say, it's a roller coaster and that's exactly what it's designed to be. Uh, if you look at Steven Summers movies after, I don't think he comes near this level of fun. Uh, he tries, but it's just the rest. Like like Van Helsing, that thing just makes me want to put a bullet in my head because it's just <laughs> so awful. Uh, but this one, I will, I will, I will give you that. It's fun, uh, but it's also uh, troublesome in, in spots. So it's hard for me to watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there you have it. A uh, big dumb Hollywood movie. I, it was yeah. better than Fast Five. <laughs> okay. That's uh, that's a true testimony right there. There you go. So that's yeah, that's me talking about the mummy. Would you would you say that's your favorite movie from the year? No, no, The okay. Matrix is probably my okay. favorite movie from the year. But I, we, already, we took that. One I'm off an the apologist table for, the show. for the prequels. Yeah. Okay. And there are okay. other like you know more serious movies from 1999 that that I would say are better movies than the mummy. But this one was fun, and I I was like, oh hey. That's a 1990 okay. movie I want to see, and I can watch it for free, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. Do it. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. Well, can uh, I... I'm... Go ahead. Can, can, can you what? Nothing. Next topic. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, we know what Eric picked, so we might as well go with him. I, I did pick Fight Club, because yes. it's the best goddamn movie ever. Um, but it's part of this neat sort of uh, first feature I mean just 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 there are so many people who had their not their first film but their first big notable film like David O. Russell at Three Kings uh, Kimberly Pierce said Boys Don't Cry we already mentioned Malkovich yeah. it was all these sort of indies who got serious budget to make something and um, yeah, this was this was the uh, the moment for what's his face? David Fincher. David Fincher. I really should do this with Wikipedia open, yeah. shouldn't I? <laughs> well, I would yeah. I would I would argue this, Eric, sort of piggybacking on that because I think you're close. But I would say that he he'd already made seven 
before he did this one. Yeah. And that one really but, catapulted him. But I think this is a case of maybe like a big studio director sort of making his indie film, if you will. Uh, I think it's more, it's, it's more that, you know, he, cause he had made a, f- you know, he's made a few films before this. He made what, what was it? The game? He made yeah, Alien, he made Alien, uh, Alien 3. Alien Cubed, where he got crucified. <laughs> yeah. But this was like sort of the first chance he had to have some control over yeah. what he was doing. Okay, I got and, you. Yeah, and, and it's, okay, yeah, it's based on the Chuck, pronounce the name for me, bookstore guy? Palinuk. It's based on the Chuck Palinuk book. Though a lot of liberties were taken with the structure. Although I will and say that uh, Palinuk has gone on record and said that the movie is better than the book. It is. Agreed. I mean. <laughs> That's a rare thing, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, the nice thing about, uh, about Chuck Palinuk is that he writes enough that he doesn't hold things precious. Yeah. It's like anyone who says, no, this is my baby and you can't touch it means they've never had another baby. Yeah. You know, if George Lucas had eight or nine really good separate movies in his belt, he wouldn't give a fuck about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, uh, it's hard to say that there's nobody out there that has no idea what Fight Club is, but but run her down for us real quick. Yeah. Uh, Fight Club the- is, yeah, it's about two guys who meet and decide to start beating each other up for fun, and they they turn it into a participation sport. Uh, of underground fight clubs uh, where they basically, you know, uh, uh, find succor for their nihilism and and some other stuff happens that would ruin it if you, <laughs> you know, were told yeah. it. And, and, and the, I, this is another one, you know, it's actually makes sense that this is the same year as the sixth sense because this is another one where the surprise was something where that, a bunch of people were like, oh, I saw that coming. And I was like, oh, no, really? You're a fucking genius. I didn't yeah. see it coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, really. you fucking did not. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is another one, too. Like, Brian was talking about movies where you need to re- rewatch, like, The Sixth Sense. This is one, like, once you know all of the the twists and you watch it yeah. again, you start seeing all of the Easter eggs that they lay out for you. So by the end, they're looking at you going, you are such a dummy that you could not figure this out by the time it happened. Because this is every instance where we told you what was going to happen. And then when you watch right. it, you're like, oh, of course, you asshole. Yeah. But the thing is, when you're watching a film for the first time, you're just, you're just on the rail. Yeah. You're just along for the ride, yeah. and you're collecting what you can. Because it doesn't stop for you. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that you wouldn't get some of this stuff. But then the, the Easter eggs actually are super subtle. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. I, should we put in like a spoilers bumper? Yes. I can't really discuss this film without it. This shit is spoiled. Okay, spoilers for a 21-year-old movie. Spoilers for Fight Club. <laughs> yeah. We're I don't want to ruin it for Fight anybody Club. who hasn't seen it. break the first rule. Yeah. Okay. It is a 21-year-old movie, but it's a 21-year-old movie a lot of people haven't seen and really need to. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, um, if you have any interest in watching Fight Club and you don't know the spoilers, uh, check the show notes, check the timestamps, go to the next thing. Yeah. Because we're yeah. going to spoil Fight Club here. Okay. Boom. Yeah. Do it. Okay, so Edward Norton... And Brad Pitt are the the two protagonists, and Brad Pitt is a figment of Edward Norton's imagination. And what's funny is that the real 
character, Edward Norton, doesn't have a name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler well, Durden is yeah. the name of the imaginary guy, but the real guy doesn't get a name. Well, that's part of the theme, too. It's like he's got no identity in this sort mm-hmm. of drony world, and so he concocts this dude out of thin air, and then that takes over his personality. But he blacks yeah. out and sort of it doesn't register that. And so all the scenes with, with them and Helena Bottom Carter... Uh, where there none of them are in the same room at the same time, all three together, and the way they stage mm-hmm. those, it's like when you watch it again, you're like, oh, cool. yeah, all of this makes perfect sense now. But when you watch it, like you said, you're not really paying <laughs> attention. That you're like, this is crazy. And then by the end, and, it sort and, of blows your mind. And he has little signs like, this is like my, you know, it's like I'm living with my parents again. Yeah, because you know they're fighting, but he's not in the room. Yeah, there's a part where uh, the the mobster guy who's kicking him out of the basement punches Brad Pitt in the stomach, and in the background you see Edward Norton fold. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much. I, I love that moment. Yeah. It's so the, like, the, oh, I caught that. It's such an intricately <laughs> put together movie that to me it's still David Fincher's best overall film. Yeah, because it is so meticulous. Uh, the thing that gets me about it is when it came out, it was very divisive, and people mm-hmm. sort of missed some of the messaging yeah. which was this is yeah this is about uh men who are lost and feel emasculated for whatever fucking reason and then they basically just becomes a playbook for how you turn someone into a toxic masculinity asshole and that right. was sort of the, the satire of the thing but people read it so wrong and then they actually took I, it as a playbook for how to be a toxic masculine this, man. i had yeah. so much res- i had so much respect for roger ebert I got to say up until this movie when he was like, it's just a bunch of guys just shaved heads who like break stuff. And yeah. I'm like, no stupid. That's not it. This is, yeah. this it's- is, this is actually making fun of exactly what you hate about this movie. Exactly. So I didn't see fight club when it first came out. I didn't see it till it came out on DVD. Yeah. And so for me, I had come into it with a bad attitude. Because by then <laughs> nice. it had been adopted by all of these, you know, proto Trump supporter meatheads, um, yeah. you know, the sort of aggrieved white males, and yeah. and they were holding it up as their thing, and I'm like, I'm not interested in your thing. I hate you fuckers. <laughs> so yeah. it was hard for me to to embrace Fight Club, and I wish that maybe I had seen it earlier or had had understood that it was a criticism going yeah. in so that I wasn't just kind of turned off by the things that they were. Well, it's, well, again, it's so, it's so meticulously crafted that it's hard to lose the message because part of the message is to sell that slick cult like atmosphere. Uh, so it's, it's very glossy and that's kind of how cults suck, suck you in. But at the same time, they just take the piss out of it everything from scene one yeah. on down but you have to sort of absorb it over multiple viewings i think to really appreciate how much they just give a giant fuck you to that whole culture it's so well done and it's still a misunderstood movie today it's so weird to me i think it would be less misunderstood if it wasn't so white because yeah. it mm. is still very the casting is very white yeah there there are a lot of opportunities to not have so many goddamn white people on the screen, but they don't take them. Yeah. Well, I like some of the the two bits of trivia that I always laugh at when I watch this movie. One is that they have a Starbucks cup in every scene. 
just as a way to, to do it because that like that's the big cultural thing but then when they do the actual project mayhem where they destroy a coffee shop they were going to do a starbucks but they obviously couldn't do that so they just turned it into yeah. something else but it's obviously a starbucks a corporate coffee establishment y- they yeah. they just give it the the name corporate coffee establishment. <laughs> yeah something like that uh and the other one the story makes me laugh every time so when marla and tyler hook up and then she rolls over uh in bed in the book the line is Tyler, I want to have your abortion. And the <laughs> executive at the studio said, No, we can't do that. We can't put that in. You need to change that line. So Fincher basically made a deal with her. He's like, Fine, I'll change it. But whatever we put in, we we get to keep and there's no turning back. And so she's like, Fine. How could how how worse could it be? And so the line in the movie is, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. And so <laughs> And so the executive saw that and went, No, we can just change it back. They're like, No, it's too late now. Uh uh-uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> so that makes me laugh every time. It's just like that's the spirit of the movie right there. Uh it's so funny. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I, I and and it does hold up, and I think that's because I've never stopped really being angry. But it is it is wonderful for that that sort of yeah, someone else feels as pissed off as you do. Yeah, it's it, it um, definitely captures the the malaise uh, of yeah. the whole thing. So you know, this was yeah, a definitely a a it was a tight race between this and Three Kings. Yeah, for my my pick. I would ninety nine. I would agree with that. Fight Club made my number one. Uh, and three my my three kings and being John Malkovich were duking it out for the three and four spot because uh, I love three kings and that one floored me uh, when I saw mm. it. But I honestly have to tell you that the number two movie for me, uh, but this will be my pick, uh, is Office Space because that is a, a game changing yeah. comedy. It's quotable from start to finish. Everybody knows it. It speaks to just a universalism as far as just jobs suck. Uh, it's got everything that you want in a, in a comedy that's going to thumb its nose and stuff. And uh, it, it's insane to me that it still holds up when people can go, uh, if you touch my stapler one more time, I'm going to burn the building down. It's like <laughs> everybody knows what you're talking about. Uh so it's just from start to finish. Ju- Mike Judge, uh, I, I think this was his first feature, right? Because he'd been doing Beavis and Butthead yeah. for, yeah. for years uh, yeah. and, and doing shorts. And so this was his first go at it. And again, like most of these, it failed miserably uh, at the box office when it came out. And then over viewings on DVD and video, it just grew and then it became like this monolithic thing where everybody knew every single line and you can quote it religiously. Yeah, it's funny. I, 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 I just, just thinking off the top of my head here, it's like he's, all of his films basically were genius and failures. Right. And it wasn't really until Silicon Valley he had something you could call a hit. And I think it's because movies are sometimes too small for the person making it. He was you know, in it's like and a King TV of the Hill. show. He made plenty of money off of that. Yeah, but, but that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Those are sitcoms. But yeah, I mean, but, like, but I I know what you mean because yeah, you know, he makes this and and becomes a big cult hit and everybody knows it. And then Idiocracy, it's the same thing. They become shorthand for hey, know that thing that really sucks. And then you can point to that movie like Office Work, mm-hmm. Office Space. You can point to just everything else culturally. Idiocracy. It's I, that kind yeah. of. Thing. I rewatched Idiocracy about a month ago and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean he just he just nails it. 
But um, it, it not only stands up, it was prescient. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's the thing. <laughs> Watching Idiocracy from 2020's perspective, you, you we're not doing so hot, folks. We're yeah. we're we're yeah. right on the path. But um, Office Space. The fun thing about that, of course, is at work. Right when you, especially if you have a job where you have to do management work, yes. right. And and so you constantly find yourself in this position where it's like, okay, I want to just tell you something that that I know you're going to hate, but I need to tell you this anyway, and I want to not sound like Gary Cole going, yeah, if you yeah. could do that, that would be great. You know, because... Yeah. And... and ah. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody knows that TPS reports are shorthand for just bullshit. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, and ever you're going to make me movie, do what? Every job I've had actually has a report that they've managed to name TPS probably on purpose. Yeah, um, <laughs> to try to take yeah. the sting out of it, but come on, we all know. <laughs> Basically, but, uh, you, it's not that you want to you know, make the other person feel any way, you just don't want to admit you're now the man. Yeah. Right? You don't want to be that guy, right? Yeah. You, you want to still have some kind of a soul or some kind of you know, consideration to the person. That's what they pay you the money yeah, for so that you don't have a soul. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that this fits thematically with most of the, the movies uh, and that it's a guy that basically loses his identity for portion of the film and then finds something to replace it. So like Peter at the beginning goes to the hypnotist and then, the hypnotist has a heart attack before he can bring him out. So basically he just doesn't give a shit about anything anymore. And that frees him from the corporate drudgery. Uh, but that falls in line with uh, Edward Norton and fight club that falls in line with Spacey in American beauty, uh, the matrix, that kind of thing. Um, even mm -hmm. election uh, like galaxy quest, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, there's just that so many galaxy movies. Quest. Yeah. There's so many movies where it's basically just, uh, I just, I'm in over my head, I hate this, and then something else comes along to sort of spur the new thing that will either destroy you or uh, bring you to a new level. And it's just that the weird feeling theme. That, you get the feeling that the 90s were so much fun that people felt like they were left out, and so they weren't <laughs> having any fun, and so, like, everything is about being trapped. Yes. Know? I sure wish I wasn't in this Matrix office, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> drone culture, so yeah. I could go out and have some of that fun myself. Yeah. Well, the it's 90s, I mean, so the Soviet Union collapses in 89, right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, at least in the United States or in the Western culture, we, won. Have, we don't have a, an existential threat enemy all of a sudden to point at, and so we start turning on ourselves and turning inward. Yeah. And saying, what's wrong with, okay, we won, why aren't we happy now? You know, it's, it's, yeah. like, it's, it's like everything about consumerism, right? Like the advertisement, it's like, if you, if you buy this, that's going to solve your problems and make your life happy. And then you buy it and you're not happy and so you need something else. And I think there was a piece of that with like, if we can win the Cold War, everyone's going to be great. And it's like, well, yeah. we're great, but this, it's still, this just... Yeah. Not well, to me, it. it's it's summed up in Office Space pretty succinctly when he when Peter goes into the interview with the quality control guys and like we noticed you've been missing work quite a lot lately, Peter. Well, I wouldn't exactly say I've been missing it, Bob. 
<laughs> and that seems to be the flow through to a lot of these. Uh, but there's also all these weird connections because then you've got in Fight Club and American Beauty, the the two main guys quit their jobs in spectacular fashion, but doing it in such a yeah. way where they get, uh, you know, back pay and don't have to worry about working. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just like these weird flow throughs that sort of move from movie to movie. And then you get like being John Malkovich, which is all about looking through other people's eyes and envisioning being them. Versus stuff like The Matrix, uh, where you're pretty much projecting your avatar. I mean, it's just all these weird thematic connections, and they're all disparate filmmakers, so they didn't all just sit in a room and go, okay, we're going to do this this year. This is going to be our thing. Yeah. Uh, but somehow and they're all the, the movies- ones that we remember and that were successful, so the, the zeitgeist was behind it. Yeah. So, so it's just everyone weird. is alienated, and... Now we're sitting in home in quarantine, talking to each other over Zoom, and yeah, yeah. yeah. This is why I don't blame uh, millennials for anything, because like basically they aren't in our trap, and goddamn it, good for them. Yeah, you know, the whatever it is they're experiencing, like say, <laughs> like soul crushing debt, you know, like all this shit that was done to them by. <laughs> By the boomers, not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Believe me, the boomers yeah. are doing hey, it more to power us too. to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, um, but yeah, but, yeah, but just rude. Yeah, but but the year itself, like I said, just there's a lot of weird thematic overlap. But then you get all of like Eric was saying earlier, all the indie directors. So like Sofia Coppola comes out with Virgin Suicides. That's her debut. Um, you get. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Soderbergh does the limey, so he's sort of coming into his own, and it's right before he does Ocean's Eleven and then springboards into right. these weird, uh, like, big-budget crowd-pleasers. But he's been doing a ton of shit for a while, hadn't he? I mean, Well, he hadn't done anything like, super commercial, though. That's the thing. Uh, yeah, we got to cancel so all this, because of- how much of this was bankrolled by Harvey Weinstein? Anyway. Oh, mm. well, you know. Uh, <laughs> but then you've also got like the, the kids' movies. So, 10 Things I Hate About You was oh, a big fuck. one, etc., uh, etc. Et so, there's a ton of you stuff. You guys, sorry, carry on. I got to close the window. It's raining. And so, you're hearing all of it. Yeah. Uh, so, 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, She's All That. She's All That. Yeah. Um, etc. And then, and, e- and even other directors. Yeah. Josie and like, the Pussycats? Was that to 99? No, it was 2001, I think. Oh. Uh, but you do get uh, other directors sort of doing their thing, like Tim, Ro- uh, Tim Burton's Got Sleepy Hollow, which is, eh, it was okay. Uh, but then you also have Kevin Smith doing Dogma, which I did rewatch recently, and it's better than I remember, but it's still irritating. Um, <laughs> that's so, pretty much the review of all the Kevin Smith movies up to a certain point basically it's uh, better than I remember it but it's still irritating yeah mm-hmm. and then and also a shout out to three other big ones that floored me at the time was uh, Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai which is a Jim Jarmusch from oh, Star yeah. Force Whitaker love that, that movie wonderful love that movie uh, then he had Run Lola Run come out which was really uh, one of the precursors to all like the snippy snappy editing and shit it's sort of like a michael bay movie but watchable uh it's, so it's, it's really- an it's an interesting take on the groundhog day concept yes. uh and then another one i rewatched recently this in the last couple of weeks was the south park movie bigger longer uncut uh because it's just hilarious it still holds up i 
I'm shocked. I remember laughing until I, like crying with laughter. Yes. I, I at one point I just stopped laughing because my body gave up. I snapped. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. I love it because the whole theme of that movie is basically just uh, this is how people overreact and start censoring things that really probably don't need to be censored. And it's yeah. all based on a show that people tried to overly censor all the time. <laughs> so it's, this was just their war cry. But I, it gets to the, the song where they sing Uncle Fucka, and it just, I lose it every time that starts playing. You don't eat or sleep or mow the lawn, you just fuck your uncle all day long. Uh, so those are some notables. Yeah, for me. Um, and and it's and probably then, time and for then, us to shut our fucking face. Is it? Or? Well, I would like to just end on what. Let's see if we get a consensus here. What was your pick for the worst movie of 1999? Oh God! The, I mean, there's some stinkers, right? Well, um, let me throw mine uh, out. And Patch see if you Adams. Agree. I'm gonna say Patch Adams. <laughs> I was close to Patch Adams, but I'm gonna say Wild Wild West. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Patch Adams, I think, is worse, but it was pretty bad. Okay. That was pretty bad. Okay, but we'll, we'll, th- that was just... so wonderfully bad because everyone involved <laughs> is good and as is bankable and yeah. shouldn't have made something that bad. So, yeah. okay, just 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 to keep it interesting, um, I, I, I'm gonna say Baby Geniuses. But okay, yeah. there's some, yeah. I mean, I only know of that crap. film. <laughs> Go look it up on Google, Eric. We got to end the show. <laughs> okay. So, so, you, you heard us referencing a whole lot of earlier episodes of the podcast, which you can totally hear if you subscribe to the podcast. Or you can go to our website, which is maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. And Chris keeps the website up and up to date. And you can find all our old episodes there. And Somewhere. We are your home for middle-aged men with podcasts. We really are. Because <laughs> so I think we're the only yeah. ones who do that. Yeah. And, and you it can was also our, it was our idea. send us show ideas or feedback or whatever. Tell us what you think the worst movie of 1999 was. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at MagHuge. Uh, on Facebook, we're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Uh, we're something or on Instagram, I think. And, yeah. Um, you could email magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All right. And I would I would urge everybody to email us and yell at us for forgetting to talk about the Blair Witch Project as well. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spoil the twist on that one. Okay. Come back yeah. next week. More podcasts. See Catch ya. Out.